0: What have I to give a girl like you?
1: That son of God, with the wings of bronze, has
0: got it We got
1: for the.
2: the box. Meet
3: people through their music.
2: With Ash Bertabez on FBI.
3: Hello and what a wondrous day to make some radio on. Stephen has been going great guns for the past three hours. Another amazing show from him and if you want to check out any of the songs that he played, check out the FBI radio website. Under programs and playlists, he's listed every single song that he played right there. And I'm very excited about the show today because I've been quite touched lately by a music video that I saw and now we have the creators here in the studio with us today. So Eileen Kramer is a dancer, choreographer and costume designer. She's travelled the world performing an expressionistic form of dancing taught quite exclusively by the famous Viennese dancer and teacher Gertrude Bodenweiser and she has recently published her memoirs, Walkabout Dancer, and Lacey Cole is a barista and singer-songwriter. When he's making coffees, he's in Brickfield's Bakery in Chippendale. And when he's making music, it's in a church in Sydney's Inner West. And Lacey released his debut album, Other Ways to Say the Same Thing, earlier this year. Welcome to Out of the Box, guys.
1: Hey, how are you? Thanks for having us.
3: It's good Hello. to have you here. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, together with Sarah Adamson, which is Lacey's wife, you've, you've made a, an amazing music video for a song called Nephilim's Lament. And
1: Thank you. That's um I think it's largely due to the, the content being the wonderful Eileen here and her no, her beautiful dancing.
4: No, I disagree. It's <laughs> your music. You inspired me. Oh,
1: that's...
4: So could I ask what
3: the song is about, Nephilim's Lament?
1: Uh the song it's uh the content of it, I guess it's just a love song. It's about a guy um trying to, you know, appeal to a woman, uh to, you know, give him a shot. Uh, but it's set uh, kind of pre great flood biblical era era, and um the Nephilim themselves they 're these these creatures that were half human half angel because angels saw human women and they came down and um had children with them, so there were these kind of giant um giant people who i guess they've they've found their way into mythology and all other kinds of areas of the world but this is this is a story essentially of a guy who sees that the flood's coming and all the angels are leaving because things are about to get heavy. And he sees it as his last chance to appeal to this girl and ask her to give him a shot because they're going to they're gonna die anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
3: The video actually truly gave me goosebumps and I was, I was kind of listening and watching and then I look away and then I look back and I look away and I look back and my goosebumps return every time I saw Eileen dancing. It's the perfect the perfect marriage of song and music video. Oh, wonderful. And, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you guys enough for giving me goosebumps. I thought I was a cold, <laughs> unfeeling person. <laughs> so, Eileen, when did Lacey ask you to be part of the video and what did you think at first?
4: Uh, I was very surprised. I was just going to have a cup of coffee, and I had that proposal. So I I hesitated, but then I said, why not? Of course, yes. <laughs> Especially as he said we were going to Clovelly, was it? Yeah. Clavelli, and I hadn't seen the sea or the ocean or the beach or the seagulls for years. So I was quite happy to do it. And then when we got there, the wind was blowing. Actually, the d- wind did most of the dancing. blowing.
3: Yeah. in In the in the video, there's this incredible storm brewing in the background, and the sun's rising through it. The colour, the palette is phenomenal. And um, so, this was at Brickfields that you both met at, at yeah. the at the cafe that Lacey yes. manages. So we've got one song to take right now that you play at Brickfields. Can I? Yeah. Can, we, can you introduce it
1: for us? Yeah, this is a song that um, it's, off, it's from a Now Again compilation called Loving on the Flip Side. And once we discovered this, it was the kind of song that it would come on, and then staff would be scream singing around the store, and customers would kind of be like rearing their heads back. But this is one that's um, particularly favoured by the owner, Simon Cancio, so it goes out to him. It's called uh, Merry Go Round by the Aquatics.
3: You listen to Out of the Box on FBI Need 4.5. Here you go. My guests today are Eileen Kramer and Lacey Cole. Absolutely love the vibes on FBI 94.5, a track brought on today by Lacey Cole. He's joined in the studio by Eileen Kramer, a dancer, choreographer and costume designer who uh, is basically about a month off getting a letter from the Queen.
4: That's right. How about I that? I expect an email. <laughs> <laughs> is that
3: actually going to happen though? Does she,
4: as the Queen, transfer so. emails? That's amazing. Well, somebody in the Queen's office. Yeah. I don't imagine she's going to put pen to paper herself. Yeah.
3: I wonder what it's going to say. Is it going to say, what a century? It's. <laughs> so you've been dancing for decades.
4: Could I ask what keeps you dancing? A dancing. <laughs> uh, well, I'm. A, I, they call me a creative person. And in a way, I do things more or less the same way as I did when I was a child. I just start making something and it turns into something.
3: When you were five, you started designing costumes. You started making clothes. Doll's clothes. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. are you still making clothes these days? Yes. this coat I'm wearing. And may I say it is quite divine for the people who are listening. It is a, is it a woolen, a woolen overcoat? Did you
4: knit that yourself? Yes, a coat. No, I didn't knit it. It was a long shawl with a fringe, so instead of having the fringe on the bottom, I have it around my neck and down the front, and it's very fru-fru. <laughs> it's been revamped. Yes. And when you were starting out as a dancer, you
3: were based in Phillips Street, I believe. Yes.
4: And that's... But that's a long time ago. <laughs>
3: Let's go back into the past. Yes. It's uh it was near the Wentworth Hotel, now I believe it's a yes, Sofitel. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: So I I I looked it up. What it's do um, you know,
3: <laughs> the internet these days. Mm. And so this it's a Sofitel now. It's an enormous building surrounded by lots of really modern buildings. It's really the epitome yes. of a CBD. What was it like when you were living there?
4: Well, Phillip Street was uh, it didn't have many of the buildings it has now. And The place I went to, my mother took me to look for a room because she was getting married and going out of town. Uh, It was a wooden gate diagonally opposite the Wentworth and you went into a passage and it opened up into a nice courtyard with a little kind of summer house in the middle of it and uh, it was very primitive, wooden buildings, wooden staircases. Uh, I thought it was very intriguing. Who to you live there with? Well, we all had single rooms, but uh, my closest neighbour was somebody who became quite well known as a witch. Her name was Rowan Norton. As a witch, as a legitimate witch, yes, as in cast spells. that's what she said. Wow. But she, her spells never worked. So. She put some spells on people for me. They didn't really work. Maybe they were <laughs> later.
3: I'm going to guess they were love spells?
4: No, not <laughs> exactly. I rented an apartment from an actor named Peter Finch and his wife, Tamara Shinareva, who was a dancer. And they went away to Europe, so I rented their apartment. And they said, wrote and said they were coming back. So we put the spell on them not to come back, uh, but they did. <laughs> I had to leave. The Didn't apartment was in William Street.
3: So it sounds like the original share house, really, mm-hmm. the, the Phillips Street place at least. And when I was watching the, the video, Nephilim's Lament, which you were dancing in, mm. Lacey's music playing in the background, the emotion on your face is really powerful, and I was kind of wondering. You, you started dancing in the style taught by um, Gertrude Bodenweiser. Yes. Does she teach you to use your face? Like, is that? She tried of... to
4: teach me to use my face. <laughs> she said it wasn't expressive enough. But lately, I suppose, over the years, something's happened, and people have remarked about my face. Uh, I didn't especially uh, practice doing that; it just kind of happened. And, and ladies' music, made probably. It yeah, just goes uh, show I, you
1: work long enough at something. And...
4: I actually don't hear the music, but my body hears it. So as soon as I hear music, I can begin to move without actually thinking about it. Speaking and of which, that's how I did with your music.
3: We've got a song that I believe you danced to, Brahms Hungarian Dance, number
4: one. That was one of Madame Bodenvisa's competitions.
3: Now, can I quickly ask you about Madame Bodenvisa? What what is she all about? Why is she important? Our listeners might not have heard
4: of her. Well, she was one of the first, uh, you know, in Vienna at that time, when she started, everything was happening in art in music, literature everything. it was the new age so she was part of that new age and uh, she came to Australia because her husband had been taken by the Nazis and she never saw him again so she didn't want she was on tour, she didn't want to go back to Vienna, so she stayed on in Australia thank goodness for being <coughs> And lot of other people.
3: Definitely. And I guess she kept the art alive through Uh, yourself and the other
4: dancers. actually, she gave us the most wonderful life. I can never thank her enough. I wish we were alive now. I'd really know how to thank her.
3: On FBI 94.5, you're listening to Out of the Box. My guests today are Eileen Kramer, a dancer, choreographer, costume designer, all of the things... Can't can't keep her from doing all of the things, really. And Lacey, who is a singer songwriter who's based in Sydney also. And we've got a song to take called Bram's Hungarian Dance Number One.
4: When we danced to this music, it was, the tempo was lower, and we were gypsies. Brahms, hungarian gypsies. <laughs> Moira Klo, who is quite well-known in Sydney, and I were partners in that dance. And I danced with a tambourine. I made the costumes, and I did that as a solo dance in India. And a man who was watching said he's felt sorry for that poor gypsy, so he put some money into my tambourine.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's Eileen Kramer,
3: who makes a very convincing gypsy. What a wonderful track. Brahms Hungarian Dance Number One. Something that Eileen Kramer danced to dressed as a gypsy in her own in her own clothes that she made herself and uh successfully won over one of the one of the crowd members into giving her some money in a tambourine.
4: <laughs> so where were you when you were dancing to this song? At that particular occasion I was in Karachi. Karachi, is that in India? Uh, no, Pakistan. Pakistan. Um, I was dancing at the Metropole Hotel in Karachi.
3: I'm um, going ask: Was it was being a dancer an, an elite occupation
4: when you were first dancing? Elite, elite, very, very elite. We met all the best people, <laughs> and
3: uh, was it easy to make a living as a dancer? Yes, a professional dancer,
4: paid. It was paid. Cool. And in America, where I've been working, we're funded by the state. So we we're paid by the state. And when you were touring, so this is,
3: you know, probably pre Jetstar, I would assume, was it easy to get around? I mean, I, I know that one one of the tours you did was to South Africa, all, all of Africa, actually. Mm. Was it, I, I heard you got hel- held up when you were leaving the ports in Australia.
4: Oh, well, after a long tour through South Africa and what was then called Rhodesia. I was taking a ship to London, and so I was waiting in a cafe with somebody. Uh, This is not my favourite song by any means, but I can't forget the man who sang it in that cafe. He was drunk. He was very, very sad, and he was saying, "'Ask her where she goes, ask her who she knows,' But don't tell her what happened to me, and uh, that was the song. So I've never forgotten that man. You're <laughs> <was> so pathetic. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't charm you at all. Oh, not at all.
3: <laughs> Picky. All right. So uh, when when you were leaving um, for South Africa, there were there were problems getting out of the port. So this is pre-getting around in in a plane. You were getting around in ships. in ships. How long would it have taken to get out of Australia into
4: in South that Africa? particular ship, there were strikes in every port in Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. So it took us about nine weeks to get to South Africa oh. because we went to shore in every port and had fun. We had classes on board ship. There were about 20 passengers. It was a cargo ship and the passengers were jealous because we had something to do and we took part in the fancy dress party on board the ship. So uh, we quite enjoyed that uh, trip. And And, uh, and, And it was a dangerous trip too. A dangerous trip, as in mm-hmm. because of the ocean or was storm the sea? People? Yeah, we had to go on deck and wait for in wait near the lifeboats. You have to go through the roaring forties, wouldn't you?
3: Was that the was that the case when you were going to I, South Africa? I
4: think so. Yeah, it's at the uh, big bay. Yeah, that's that's the huge scary spot. Yeah, that's it. All right,
3: and um, there was there was. One occasion where there was a bit of an emergency, you arrived, your gear didn't arrive for the uh, dance, and you were supposed to dance that night. What was the scene like that ensued? What was the. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there would have been a panic. I mean, no costumes uh, and madam, a dance to do. That's the
4: first time I've ever seen Madam in a bit of a panic. And the manager of African theatres, they were clutching each other, and our pianist, Dory Stern, said to me, Eileen, do something. And I said, I don't want to do anything. I'm tired of doing something. <laughs> but anyway, I did, I did do it. Uh, and my friend, Jean Raymond, she usually managed my affairs. So she said to the wardrobe mistress of South African theatres, no, you mustn't watch her. Uh, she can't work very well if you watch her. And I said yes. Could you just bring me some bales of fabric, some big rolls of fabric? So they ran away and they came back with rolls of fabric. So that morning before the Saturday matinee, um, I chopped out with pair of scissors, water lily costumes, sunset costumes, blue Danube costumes, all the same and gave them to the women, and they sewed them up quickly. And we were able to do the matinee. On the demon machine, we had black, shiny black and silver costumes. Uh, So they went to the wardrobe room, and they found black costumes with silver sequins, big ones about the size of dollars. And uh, we had to throw ourselves onto the floor... And lie on our backs and do very quick movements with our legs, and I could hear those sequins going (laughs) crack, crack, popple, crack. (laughs) Were they were they a bit worse for wear after the show? Well, they had to sweep the floor before the next (laughs) dance. But by the evening, um, the costumes had arrived, so we didn't have to bother. Oh, just in time to make everything useless. uh, Madam and Mr. Chenevsky were really clutching each other and he was saying, be calm, madam, be calm. And she was saying, cannot be calm when my girls have lost their costumes. Mm -hmm. So I said, uh, uh, Mr. Chenevsky, you take madam to a department store and you buy eight... uh, like underwear, complete underwears that cover you from top to, to bottom. Yeah, we don't really have those anymore. No, they didn't. Well, a shame. I saw something the other day, actually.
3: Ah, oh, making uh, a comeback.
4: It's yes. So uh, they immediately stopped panicking and went off and came back with those things. So uh, actually, I was quite proud of myself for being able to handle the situation. <laughs> yeah. And Jean. But she always handles situations. Sewing under stress. With we had Elaine to look Pring. after Madam.
3: Now we've got a song to take by Lead Belly. Uh, the story behind this one is a bit, of, a bit of a case of mistaken identity, I believe. So mm. why did you want to bring this song on the show today?
4: Is that the, uh, which Go- one is Goodnight Irene by Lead Belly. Oh, that was the drunk man in South Africa. Oh, that's him. Yes, but he won't sound
3: like Lead Belly. No one sounds like Lead Belly. <laughs> And it's a shame, isn't it? Led Billy, we got a song called "Goodnight Irene. Not Eileen, apparently. <laughs> and uh, you're listening to Out of the Box on FBI 94.5. We'll be hearing from Lacey Cole in a second.
6: As your mother, for you, she told me that you were. Good night, Irene, and good night, Irene. I get you in my dream. Sometimes I'll live in a country. Sometimes i live in town. Sometimes i have a great notion. and into the reward.
3: And what a wonderful song. Thank you, Eileen, for bringing that one on the show. That was Lead Belly with Goodnight, Irene. And uh, Eileen is joined by Lacey Cole, who is a singer-songwriter based in sydney also a barista and manager of brickfields in chippendale which makes amazing coffee thank you highly recommend thank you hopefully not going to do a cow and moon on you and as soon as give give you the promo you've got people around the corner i don't think that'll happen it's just (laughs) fbi it's all
1: right it's all right we um we 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 have enough meetings every week to try and deal with every little thing that could possibly go wrong which is massive in a bakery cafe so it's good what we'll kind of we'll sort it out. What
3: kind of stuff does go wrong?
1: Ah, oh, nothing goes wrong so much as there's just a lot of there's a lot of different departments that kind of fall under the brickfields umbrella. So you've got you know you've got bread, you've got pastry, you've got food, coffee, and then just like front of house, and it's such a small space, but it's trying to do so much. So you just need to get across it all, you know.
3: Uh, you you've been. Know, touring around Australia and also you've done a residency at Arcadia liquors so why would you want to why would you do a residency as a folk band what kind of you know what what are the perks of having a residency
1: so we did we did I um, that w- we did that a about a year ago now and that was that was mainly because um, Arcadia liquors is a great place um, and really good people run that but also just it's, it's just good to kind of knuckle down somewhere and people can come back and um, visit you week to week. We just recently did another residency up at the Moonshine Bar in um, Manly, which I didn't know what Manly even looked like anymore. <laughs> and going over there, it was um, it was really nice to just see all these people coming out on a Thursday night and just, like, the place would be heaving, you know, just to see live music and um, to be able to be the feature opener, I guess, every night for a month. Um, sorry, every Thursday night for a month was really good because you get to kind of build relationships with people and they get to come back and see you and bring their friends and you can kind of really establish yourself um, by doing things that way rather than just playing one-off shows here and there and, you know, then they don't know where to see you next, don't know how far away you'll be.
3: Good point. And you you've released Other Ways to Say the Same Thing earlier this year and from from what I've seen online, it seems like the, your the album came from a place of kind of great personal conflict.
1: Yeah, I, I grew up in the Blue Mountains. Um and I guess when I when I left the mountains I kind of brought with me all these songs from the um the context I was up there, uh I was in up there. So my friendship kind of circles, my um my like you know, my personal life, my relationships, they kind of all came with these songs and I, I use songwriting uh really cathartically. So um I can sit down and start writing a song and not even know what it's about, and then realize after that I've kind of divulged my entire life history and like secrets. And Accidental biographical. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, this album kind of had a real sentimental uh, attachment to me through through all of that, and um, to be able to release it now, it took it took me ages to record, also because. When I started recording it, I didn't even have a band. I kind of built the band as I was recording it.
3: I mean, you recorded in a church, so how did you get access to the church?
1: So there's a there's a church. So I grew up. Um, I grew up in you know in a church like in the Blue Mountains. So that's a lot of the context up there. Um, a lot of the the biblical allusions in in the songs are, are pretty prominent. Like even Nephilim's lament. Nephilim is an angel. It's, it comes from a Bible story, and then the the church in Glebe is um is one where I I play with um I play every second Sunday for the service which is also attached funnily enough to an ARV um institution which is uh similar to where Eileen lives and um we play kind of old timey gospel stuff
3: What is that ARV?
1: ARV is the Anglican Retirement Village. Oh ah,
3: yes. So it's like an independent living center.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, Eileen's one is and this one is more of a just kind of straight up retirement village the one that's attached to the church in Glebe. Um, and the church in Glebe has a, a large uh, kind of community involvement, um, lots of community uh, programs that deal with um, a lot of the issues that kind of spring up in Glebe, a lot of the um, the community there. Cool. And uh, I guess I got involved with the church by playing these old-timey gospel songs uh, on, the, on the Sunday mornings, and then through that we've been able to... Um, rehearse in the space, record an album in the space, and last Friday we were able to launch the album in the space with Eileen dancing, which is just such a great um, treat to be I able have to use I've seen photos.
3: That. It looked amazing. Yeah. Your outfit, you made that yourself, Eileen. It's so
4: simple. I could hardly say I made it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just kind of fell onto you. Yes.
4: I bought the material in Paris, I right up in Montmartre.
3: Ah, yeah. When were you in Montmartre? Uh,
4: About ten years ago. Ten years, yeah. It's still a beautiful Um, place. I just want to say about the coffee shop. Indeed. uh, Everybody there is so beautiful. And and Lacey and all the girls and the young men, I just go there to feast my eyes on their beauty. And then the customers are all so uh, trendy. (laughs) I went to another coffee shop somewhere else and I saw rows of grey heads. But there it's all young people and you know that they're all learning or doing something. So I just love to go there.
1: They're all coming for the hope that you'll be there so you can no, you, give them your wisdom.
4: They're all in
3: love with Lacey. Probably. I think I think that's very likely. Everyone, Everyone's going there to check out the talent, really.
1: I've only got eyes for you, Eileen. You and my wife. <laughs>
3: So we've got a song to take that's uh, that Lacey's brought on the show today. It's by Bob Dylan, and can you can you tell us the story behind this song because it's it's quite a corker.
1: Yeah, um, Eileen has a few backstage stories up her sleeve as well, but this one it was uh it was about it was when whenever he was playing at the Blues Fest in Byron, and it was that that was over the um a weekend which was the Anzac Day weekend. Anzac Day is my birthday, and I had a backstage pass from a friend who was playing up there and who had um who had left with his band because they had to tour somewhere else, and so I was kind of stalking the back- the shadows backstage, just kind of sitting on the side of stage, not talking to anyone, looking really mean, wearing double denim, trying to fit in and be kind of unapproachable, so not to rouse any uh suspicion and anyway uh, i'm I'm a bit obsessed with Bob Dylan, and as poster it, as, on the wall and everything you know just everything, everything, yep. poster on the wall like, every little kind of money-making book he's ever released. Um, <laughs> Even so the I, ones that
3: you know are just, they're just there to anyway, make money. <laughs> with,
1: like, pr- like, reprints of old ticket receipts and stuff. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> anyway, I was sitting there on the side of stage, um, flanked by some pretty relatively big-named kind of guys, but they were like all Elvis identifiable. Elvis Costello. Yeah, Elvis yeah. Costello, Jack Thompson. He did, it's like, a a Anzac Anzac Day kind of poem thing. And then uh, Bob Dylan's show was coming up. And Bob Dylan, everyone knows he's notorious for being very reclusive and like secrety. Uh, so the the festival director came backstage and kind of announced to everyone that uh, Bob Dylan's crew would be coming on. Now it was a closed set; everyone had to leave, and um, including like Elvis. Yeah, Elvis Costello leaves. <laughs> Get uh, out of here. Jack Thompson leaves. Like all these people leave. All the sound guys and engineers. And he comes over to me, and he's like, uh, "It's the closed set. Does the spiel," and I. In a moment of something, just put on the worst American accent possible, and I'm like, "Can we hear it?" Yeah, or I'm with it? Dylan's crew, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he just kind of looked at me. And Is that just, convincing, Eileen? What do you think? You know, my double denim was just shining with authority, <laughs> and he just <laughs> left. and I was just like, "I must look like Dylan's kid or something." Like Did I'm, I'm have- pulling this off. And anyway, I'm starting to sit there, and I'm like, the the Dylan's crew, the real crew, actually come. They start pulling off all the stuff on stage and putting on you know everything dylan-esque and what are
3: you, what are you thinking like, i'm
1: sitting there on a picnic chair getting like crowded by gear like towards the the back of um side of stage and i start freaking out i'm thinking like if i see dylan now like what am i going to say like i'm going to have to say something otherwise uh, you know th- to have the opportunity yeah. and to let also it pass a
3: freaky thought yeah, He's got some pretty hefty guards with him.
1: Well, that's I haven't even considered this yet. And that's what ended up foiling me, I guess, in the end, is that they did the last perimeter check and me being right on the perimeter was kind of caught by this um, awesome guy who just kind of walked over. I saw him like winding his way through the maze of gear and he just saw me there and he's like, ''Hey, man, what are you doing there?'' <laughs> You, you know you can't be back here, man. Like, you got to get out of here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I got lost or something. And I was so relieved because the, the idea of actually potentially coming within arm's length of Bob Dylan was freaking me out way too much at that moment anyway. And as I left, I kind of bumped into an actual festival security guard, not a personal Bob Dylan one. And he just looked at me. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh. I just came clean, told him the whole story, my birthday and everything. He just looked at me and he's like, mate, you were so lucky you did not jump out from behind uh road case to like approach Bob Dylan because they would have just taken you down. Like, and I, I don't know if he was just trying to scare me or what, but he's just like, you know, Dylan's security a National Guard, like, he's like a wow. national treasure kind of thing. Like, they're, they're, like, they've got the authority to can, like, to carry automatic weapons and just freaking me out. And I was just there, kind of shaking. And he just, like, in his defence he just let me straight into the very front of the the stage anyway which is probably, it was a birthday it was my birthday <laughs> and it was probably a better view anyway to be honest and yeah. I didn't have to make a fool of myself or potentially get taken down
3: or have a heart attack yeah none of that on FBR 94.5 my guests today Lacey Cole who you just heard from and Eileen Kramer
5: I once held her in my arms. She said she would always stay But I was cruel, I treated her like a fool I threw it all away Once I had mountains in the palm of my hand it ran through every day That must have been made I never knew what I had Until I threw it all away Love is all there is. It makes the world go round Love and only love It can't be
7: denied
5: you think about it, you just won't be able to do without it. Take a tip from one who's tried. So if you find someone who gives you all of the love, take it to your heart, don't let it stray. Shall it be a if you throw it all away? If you throw it all?
3: You're listening to out of the box on FBI 94.5 with myself, Ash Bertabez, and Lacey Cole and Eileen Kramer, are my guests today. Together, they've made a music video called Le- Nephilim's Lament. And it is, it is actually heartrending. And we will put it up on the programs and playlist page. So go to FBIRadio.com and you can find it there. Or simply Google Nephilim's Lament. I'm not going to spell it because I'll sound like a, a dill. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really an amazing music video, gave me goosebumps. And in it, Eileen Kramer dances now when you when you were dancing and touring around, you found yourself in Paris, where you became an artist's model. that's right
4: uh, Madame Bodenbu had died, and I didn't want to come back to Australia, so I stayed on in Paris. The only thing I could do was be an artist's model, but I consider that close to dancing yeah, so anyway. Did you enjoy Uh, modelling? Yes, quite liked it, especially if I had one-minute poses, (laughs) Uh, because if you get uh, 25 minutes or half an hour, it's a little tiring. Uh, But while I was there, that's where I met Baruch, my husband, and we went to the south of France, uh, not south of France, we went to Dieppe, which is on the channel... And Baruch uh, wanted to go and play roulette uh, because of course, there's a big dancing, a big uh, gambling house there, red plush, champagne, all sorts of things you see in movies. Not your,
3: not your usual star casino, that's for sure. Yes.
4: So, <laughs> uh To go in and gamble, you have to uh, have your somebody has to draw a picture of your face. They don't take a or well, they didn't well, take. Could a, they? Didn't take a photograph. Yeah. They took a drawing of your face. So nobody had done my face. So I, uh, I, I you know, stayed in the ballroom while they. You know, I've, I've lost my way in this story. Uh, I'm That's... talking about meeting Sachmo, Sachmo, otherwise known as Louis
3: Armstrong. Yes. Which is I, I didn't I didn't know he was known as Sachmo. Louis Armstrong's quite an iconic name today. Do you remember, do you know why he was called Sachmo? No. No idea? <laughs> Just kinda happened. So you met you met Louis yeah. Armstrong, but you also met Ella Fitzgerald. Yes, I met her
4: in Paris. and I knew a singer in Paris. She sang in clubs. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald was going to be singing in a very small cafe. So she took me to meet Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, I was taken to her dressing room completely in awe of her. She had such a lovely voice. Amazing. uh, Like a young girl. And her behaviour was a little bit like a young girl. She was eating a great big French sandwich. It's about four inches or five inches long, stuffed with ham. And she was chewing away on this sandwich. Somebody came in and said, there's a reporter outside who wants to see you. She said, ah, let me finish my sandwich. And then the person said, you know, he's Italian. And immediately she melted, she put the sandwich down. (laughs) And she said, oh, let him come in. So... Um, I decided that uh, she should be alone with the Italian, and I left and went outside. And what happened? You didn't take a sneaky bite out of a sandwich no. for the story's no. sake. That <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed meeting her, and she had uh, she was like a queen. She had about five people around her, all standing like in bowing attitudes.
3: Wow, that's kind of it's kind of a very similar story to Lacey's Bob Dylan story, yes. these stars mm. of their time. Yes. Yeah. Um, national treasures, I guess.
4: The uh, So that was my meeting with Ella Fitzgerald. She sang uh, the song uh will turn Manhattan into an Isle of dreams. Uh, that's true. At that time, Manhattan was an Isle of Dreams, but she was singing it in Paris. So later, when I went to New York, I, I found myself involved with filmmaking and musicians and artists, and Ella Fitzgerald's voice was always with me, singing that song. Yeah.
3: And when you met Louis Armstrong, could I ask, what, were you, what was your first impression of Louis?
4: I didn't quite realise who he was and he was playing, he was um, making music, I think he played more than one instrument. So at one time he picked up a great big bass and began plucking on the strings and looking at me as he plucked each string. (laughs) Sounds a little bit seductive. And then they played uh, twist music and I was alone in this big ballroom, uh, trying to do the twist. So they got up from their instruments and they all showed me how to do the twist. <laughs> and uh, I was sorry when I had to leave that room. That's amazing. Louis Armstrong showed you how to do the twist. <laughs> what? And he was, his voice was so
3: strange to me. It's it's completely unique. Yes. Even when people try to do an imitation, it's just, you can't get close. I and it's the same he, with Ella Fitzgerald, hmm. really.
4: Well, I thought at first that he was putting it on, but I discovered that was really and truly his voice. That so was, in, in, when he
3: speaks to you, he sounds like that as well?
4: Yes, but when mm-hmm. he sings, he rolled he his eyes and lifts his shoulders and does body movements and... Uh, and a big, big smile showing all his teeth. He's
3: almost mm-hmm. like a, a bit of a suppressed dancer. He
4: seems yes. like very physical to his uh, I really I
3: liked him so much. Fantastic. And we've got a song now to take from Ella Fitzgerald Manhattan, the one that my guest Eileen Kramer just mentioned. You're listening to out of the box. My name's Ash Bertabes. I've also got Lacey Cole in the studio with me, and here is Ella Fitzgerald. Go, go, gadget. <laughs>
2: Summer journeys to Niagara and to other places Aggravate all our cares We'll save our fares I've a cozy little flat in what is known as Old Manhattan We'll settle down Right here in town We'll have Manhattan, the Bronx and St Island too It's lovely Going through The zoo It's very fancy On old Delancey Street you know The subway Charms us so When balmy Breezes blow To and fro And tell me what street Compares with Mott Street In July Sweet push carts Gently gliding By The great big City's a wondrous Toy Just made for a girl And boy We'll turn Manhattan to an isle of joy We'll go to Yonkers Where true love conquers in the wilds And starve together dear In childs We'll go to Coney And eat baloney on Central Park We'll stroll Where our first kiss We stole Soul to soul And my fair lady Is a terrific show They say We both may see it close Someday The city's glamour Can never spoil dreams of a boy and girl will turn manhattan into an isle of
3: joy fbi 94.5 you listen out of the box that was ella fitzgerald which i'm really glad that made it on the air <laughs> i haven't he- heard that on fbi radio i don't think ever and uh I guess "Walk About Dancer" is a, a memoir that you've just published. Could I ask you, like how long did it take you to put a memoir together? You've got, you've got 99 years now to put into almost 100 years to put into
4: a memoir. Uh, I think it took about two years, and I had help. And finally, I had enough sense to get an editor. You should always get an editor You think you know everything But you don't
3: Yeah, I I have heard that As soon as you realise you need an editor Just, anyone will do Apparently So, okay, we've got I've got a small summary of Walkabout Dance here But could you tell me what was the hardest part of that book to write I mean, you've got a lot of A lot of years to put into it Was there a particular period of your life That you found really difficult to write about Or did it all come very easily
4: no, it wasn't. I suppose I wanted to do justice to Bodenvisa. So there's a, uh, an and, index in the front of the book. You can choose which part you want to read.
3: And Bodenvisa, for those who are listening who don't the know, Boden-Vise, is yes. Madame
4: Bodenvisa,
3: the famous Viennese. Dancer and teacher made a very expressionistic, beautiful style of dancing. Sometimes quite jarring. It was very new to Australian audiences when she brought it over here. Almost shocking. Yeah. Uh,
4: And every every class was a joy to do with her. You didn't really know what you were learning till later. That's fantastic. Even now, I. I realised what I'd been learning from her. So she teaches without seeming teacherly. Without fuss, without... Yeah. She always had somebody to demonstrate the technical aspect, but Madame would use such exotic, old, really like early film phrases. Uh, We had a dance called The Water Lilies. If two blonde girls did it, they were water lilies. If dark, exotic girls did it, they were passion flowers. And Madame said, Oh, she lips should be like a scarlet wound. (laughs) Very, very dramatic. Yes. She would say things like that which inspired us. Fantastic. Ella Fitzgerald made me weep. Yeah, um, I
3: have to say, Eileen, actually, you know, tears tears (laughs) of nostalgia, I guess.
4: Well, New York at that time... It
3: was, yeah, a very good time. So can I ask you a little bit more about New York? When you moved to the States, you made made a movie with your husband, an animation, a a two-and-a-half-hour animation. That's right,
4: far too long.
1: (laughs) That's before you you realised editors were
4: (laughs) Well, Baruch should have known he was an editor, but he couldn't stop.
3: Well, I think maybe it was because all the things that you created he couldn't cut. See, that's what an editor would you know, it, that's the
4: primary thing. Oh no, we used shots we shouldn't have used.
3: Yeah. You you can't you can't make a an a film with your, your spouse and then cut anything
4: that they've made. It's just But I learned every aspect of making a film. I made four hundred figurines, I made costumes, I performed in the live action. And we went, we found a castle on the Hudson River. It was a medieval drama. Uh, and we hired the empty apartment next door to us as a studio. So it was quite an adventure. And it went on and on and on. And Baruch had a stroke in the middle of it and he got better and we continued and finished it.
3: Fantastic, and this is back before you know, before digital, obviously. Yes. Which is just—I find millimeter. it. Yeah, thirty-five millimeter film, cutting and literally pasting them together. Yes. So, how long
4: do you think it took you all together to make that film? Five years. Five years. Well, cutting the stroke. Indeed. You know, the stroke was almost twelve months.
3: And you were—you were mentioning before. I he you Your husband sounds like a bit of a character. Mm-hmm. You you were talking before about his his last words, and I was I was ready to feel moved and touched. But
4: could could you please tell that story? Well, uh, at one point the doctors advised me to uh, live have somewhere else to sleep, so I got another small apartment, and I would come every every time Baruch wanted me, and uh, he would get. A carer to come and help him each day. He got better, but he had to have a carer. So he had the surgery. Uh, this was about, uh, I suppose, uh, twelve months after he'd had the stroke. Um, other other organs in his body began to give way, so he had a carer. And I brought him home from the hospital where he'd had some surgery, and he went to bed. I went back to my sleeping place. The phone rang at about three o'clock in the morning, and Baruch said, "Come quickly, I'm dying." So I jumped in a taxi and got there and You know we always want to hear the last words i've always loved I've never told you how I loved you." I've, um, that kind of thing. Uh, the, the carer opened the door and raised his arms in horror, uh, like, this man is driving me crazy. Uh, I went into the bedroom and Baruch's last words he ever uttered, you left me alone with that idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and the idiot could hear him. <laughs> so I was disappointed. I was always a little disappointed in Baruch. Um, every time I'd feel, oh, I'm in love with him, he'd stop me. He, he wanted to stop stop me from Throw a little emotion overboard.
3: Yeah. Throw a little emotional spanner in the works.
4: Yes. So his final act was to do that. Of course. Well, he sounds like a, a character, at least. But he never, ever abandoned me. He was always there for me and he encouraged my talents. So we had quite a bond. This film was our safety valve. And you were you were collaborators. You, yes. You know, lived a very interesting
3: life together. Mm-hmm. And uh so Walkabout Dancer is Eileen's book. And is it available in Australia? Dimix. Through Dimmix. Through you can find her book and hear about her life and times. You can order it and you can order it on Amazon, actually. It's uh, under $20, so that's a bargain. In there you've got, you got 100 years of life in that book. That's that's value. In, no, in November. So a month off 100. Amazing. But and I, still dancing. The word
4: old is taboo.
3: Yes, I have I mean, to say, I've been alive for a long time. You've been very alive, indeed. And could I ask? I mean, it sounds like a bit of a trope to ask this, but you know, almost a cliche. But you're almost a hundred. You're still dancing. You're still creating things. Is there any is there any wisdom that you can lend to other people to make them as I guess happy and as you uh, are at this age?
4: Just keep on doing what you're doing. Try to avoid too much commercialism and uh, eat well. (laughs) Uh, I'm reminded of those old men who lived up somewhere in the north of Russia. They were interviewed while they lived to be 130. And they said, well, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't chase women. (laughs) So I don't drink or smoke or chase women. (laughs) (laughs) Eileen Kramer, thank
3: you so much for coming on the show. And Lacey, you've got a gig tonight.
1: Yeah, Folk Informal.
3: Folk Informal. So this is at FBI uh, Social. So FBI Social tonight from 11pm, I believe, you'll be playing, but it starts at 8.30 odd and it's $10 on the door as with most FBI Social gigs. So... He's going to be playing alongside Recall, Stephen Bernard, Caitlin Harnett, and then it's Lacey Cole with the Lazy Colts. The,
1: the good boys. The
3: good boys. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you guys on the show, but we have run out of time, which is a bit of a bummer because I could go on for hours. <laughs> and we've got one last song. It's New York, New York by Liza Minnelli. Now, can you, can you say why you brought this song on, Eileen?
4: Uh, well, I went to New York. At a period when everybody was crazily creating. Down at um, down in the village we got an apartment, had a courtyard, it has niches in the wall with statues in it and uh, that's where we started doing our film but we associated with people who are um, you know independent filmmakers and it seemed to me that I was living in a whole big world of creativity. Fantastic. And performances in the in the park of Shakespeare. We actually shot film in the park um, down at Canal Street. Things happened. So it was a very exciting time. And I'd always been afraid of going to America. I thought I wouldn't fit in at all. But I... Uh, With the help of Baruch, I kind of thrived in New York.
3: Seems like you could fit in anywhere. (laughs) Eileen Kramer, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been enlightening. And Lacey Cole, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Next up, you've got Ryan coming in.
8: I want to be a part of it. New York, New York, these vagabond shoes are longing to stray. And step
2: People Through Their Music with Ash Bertabez on FBI.